My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Thank you so much for all of the nice feedback that I got last week on that very special episode with my uh, grandfather who died last week or two weeks ago, essentially. And uh, I was able to do an interview with him back in 2011. And um, yeah, the amount of outpouring I received on that um, was awesome. I was a little nervous about it because, of course, anytime you introduce something new into an ecosystem that is used to hearing people in bands and record labels and all that sort of stuff, how, uh, you know, you guys would react. But overall, it was very, very positive. And, you know, I mean, the downloads were still there. It wasn't like people were like, oh, gosh, I'm not going to listen to this morbid thing. Uh, So I really appreciate that. And for those of you that reached out and emailed me and either sent condolences and or shared their own experiences on loss. I really, really appreciate that because that's exact. I mean, we're all in this weird human experience, so it's nice to feel a little bit less alone and know that other people are struggling with this stuff too. So I really appreciate that. And the guest this week, shifting gears and getting back to our regularly scheduled programming, we have Josh Call, who is the bassist and co-lyricist in the band Foxing. And for those of you that have listened to the year-end episode that I did with my good friend Joey, realized that the Foxing record is quite good because it made my top 10 list. So I was really excited to uh, dive in and know more about them because, frankly, I don't know anything about them besides, well, once I started to do some research, I realized, like, oh, wow, they're from St. Louis? Like, that's a really weird thing. Um, just because, I mean, my experience with St. Louis is, uh, I wouldn't say limited cause I've been there a few times and I've played a few shows there, most notably at a comedy club there. I played a show and it was pretty, well, I wouldn't say terrible, but, uh, sparsely attended, we'll say maybe about 20 or 30 people there, but it was just weird playing at a comedy club because, you know, that was set up for a comedy and not a hardcore punk show, <laughs> but I digress. So, uh, Josh was really, really awesome. And I love this conversation because, I'm always uh, a little hesitant to bring people into this uh, 
weird, wild world of, of podcasts in this show in particular that haven't uh, done a ton of press or are in the middle of a press cycle because, you know, they're used to kind of the standard interview. So here I come in with this, hey, let's talk for an hour about your life. They're like, whoa, hold on. I don't know how much I want to share. So Josh was a great sport and uh, talks a lot about stuff that um, you probably won't hear anywhere else. So let's get some business stuff out of the way. I've decided to dive into the whole Amazon affiliate thing. And for those of you who are unaware, it's uh, basically a program in which, you know, I, I presume you shop on Amazon. I would say like a, a wide swath of the country and the world shops from Amazon. So if you don't have the money to contribute to this show in the ways that you would like to, here is an easy way for you to do it. I will toss this referral link in the show notes. And basically what it is, you bookmark it, you put it on your, your phone, you put it on your web browser. However you keep track of this, I don't care. But what you can do is you press that link and it'll take you to the Amazon homepage. You'll log in as you normally do. You shop as you normally do, buy whatever you want. But basically, the show gets a 4% kickback. So whatever your total amount is, we get 4% of that. Amazon gives that back to me for referring you to Amazon, which is, is funny because it's like, hey, have you heard of Amazon before? It's like, yeah, of course. But anyways, that's the way their program works. So click on that link in the show notes, or I'll also put it on the website, and uh, save it forever. And do all your shopping through there, and it will contribute to the show in ways that uh, you won't even know. And all of a sudden, I'll be like, oh, wow, great. That was a $100 check. Thank you so much. That's going to uh, keep me paying uh, my, my producer and uh, maybe you know not uh, have my kids starve. That's a really big guilt trip. I apologize. But anyways, Amazon affiliate, I've, do- I've dove into that. Dove in? Dived? Doved? Anyways. So uh, please do that, and you can support the show. And you don't have to give any money out of your hard-earned pockets. Um, also over the course of the next couple weeks, you will be hearing some, uh, commercials for the fellow shows that are a part of the Jabberjaw Media Network. So go find some of your, uh, new favorite podcasts. Okay. And, um, maybe one of those ads will point you in the right direction. So, uh, Josh call, like I said, was, uh, that was, is currently the bassist in Foxing. And like I said, love the record. Was really excited about this conversation, and uh, he delivered in spades. We talked about uh, his life in the military. We talked about the Midwest and um, how they've coped with the newfound attention that they've had as a band. So a lot of really, really insightful uh, stuff that I think you will uh, enjoy. So here's Josh, and I will talk to you after the show is over. I first came became aware of you guys obviously when you signed with Triple Crown, but I first saw you guys where I actually had more of a impression when you came through with the hotel year. You, I think you played Chain Reaction, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, so you're from you're from California. I'm from Southern California. Sorry, I should have specified that. Okay, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you guys came through, and I, I, I watched you play, and I was I was immediately like, oh, like this is this is cool. Like I didn't, I honestly, I didn't listen to your record. Um, yeah, and it was because I mean. Um, I, basically I was immediately taken by the fact that you guys seemed very um, earnest about what you were doing. There was no kind of, because obviously there's a difference between earnest and being pretentious about what it is that you're doing. So I kind of was like, yo, these guys mean it. And then um, the, you know, honestly I I listened to the record and I was like, this is cool. It didn't blow my socks off, but then it wasn't honestly until your newest record where I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is a definitive step in a direction that, will you know put you guys in in playing with different bands and obviously breaking 
out of the sort of, you know, basement show world, even though you guys will obviously still be comfortable playing those, those, those places. But, um, is the general reaction from this LP to you? I mean, like whether it's like publicly or people express to you like, Oh my gosh, like this is a huge step in, uh, either the right direction or just kind of, um, you know, a more expansive universe that you guys will not solely just be playing in front of a hundred people in, in a basement, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, the reaction to the new record has been somewhat polarizing. Uh, so, um, I think to people that are extremely rooted and grounded in a specific scene, uh, the record kind of took them back a little bit. Maybe they weren't expecting that. I think that, uh, you know, when we put out the Albatross, I think that also kind of uh, had the same or a similar reaction where people uh, from our EPs and splits and whatnot that we had, that we had put out before weren't necessarily expecting something like the Albatross. Um, and I think in the same regard, uh, Dealer is... Uh, similar. Uh, I think people that have a, um, maybe ha- have, have a wider range of tastes understand, uh, kind of what we were going for and maybe can connect our influences on a personal level a little bit better. Uh, so I think that there are definitely people that, um, just want us to be screaming and they just think that the only way to convey, emotion and music is to yell about it. And we, uh, as, as fans of music, that's not really what we listen to and that's not really what we enjoy. And so, um, the record definitely, I think reflects our own tastes, uh, a little bit more clearly than our last record. And it seems like the people that get it, uh, it's been very overwhelming, um, overwhelmingly positive. And they've been comparing it to things that I would say um, maybe fall in line a little bit close, like a little bit closer with our own tastes. Um, and so in that regard, it's really, really uh, affirming because that was that was a goal for us, was to make something that we felt like we, we, we wanted to make a record that we would listen to if we weren't in the band. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I feel really happy with it and, and to see people, you know, comparing it to, you know, a band like, uh, like the antlers or, uh, Sigaros or, I mean, which I think that's an insane comparison because nobody should be compared to that band. And I don't think that we're anywhere near the level <laughs> that that band is, but to see it, uh, be at least held in the same uh, uh, playing field to a very small degree as bands in that world. It, that's really, really um, wonderful and really, really nice to see. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you're talking about. Cause yeah, I mean, you obviously aren't placing these labels on yourself. This is what people are doing to you based off of, I think the the nugget that I'm pulling out from what you're saying right there is the fact that you were attempting to create a record that you would like to listen to yourself. Because I think, and honestly, to me, that's, that shows a sign of 
um, maturity when you do reach a certain age. Cause obviously when you first start playing in bands, when you're whatever, 15 or 16 years old, like all you're doing is being like, all right, I want to rip off like strife and no effects. Like, let's see if we can do this. And you don't, you know, you don't have a musical vision. You just want to emulate your favorite bands, but it isn't until later where you start to realize that like, Oh, my music tastes have changed. And how can that reflect what I'm creating musically? And it, it becomes that weird push and pull where, Sometimes if a band has been in a certain lane for a long period of time that they can't switch, you know, because they're like, well, that's what we're like known for. And we can't blow up our business structure because we all of a sudden want to like sound like the bands that we actually all listen to ourselves. But since you guys are in a relatively early tenure of your, uh, you know, you stage in your career, it's easier for you to kind of, you know, make that logical evolution, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because we've never really agreed on bands, all five of us. You know, there's there's some bands that three or four of us really enjoy and one of us doesn't like or any combination of, uh, you know, any combination of numbers uh, with members. But uh, we, we don't really discuss bands as a reference point because it's kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, if, you, if you're trying to uh, get an idea across and you, and you reference a band, th- that idea or, or that band might fall on deaf ears for, you know, for like two or three members in the band. So then your idea doesn't come across. Um, so, you know, I've, I've seen people um, online uh, in a in a negative way, compare our record to uh, you know things like Bon Iver, or the National, and it's like that wasn't our intention at all. It wasn't. I mean, the, those are both bands that I think uh, at least maybe three of the members in the band enjoy. But it's really strange when uh, uh, <laughs> people use things like that as a negative reference point. And that's where I guess, like, kind of going back to your first thing about the reaction to it. You know, there are some people that they will not be happy with it uh, no matter what, as long as it, or if it doesn't fall into the, their very uh, narrow parameter in, in terms of what we should be doing. And when you do that and you try to satisfy those people, I think that that's when you're going to be extremely um, personally unsatisfied with your own work. Right. No, it's a, it's a very, very important point because it does... Um Ultimately, whatever path you decide to go down from a musical standpoint, um, the moment you start playing into uh, either conventions or what is expected um, or what is capturing a certain moment in a particular scene, whatever it is you're playing to, that's when you start to feel the, you know, you're just going through the motions at that point. Like you, yeah, don't, yeah. you don't feel the, you don't feel the, you know, the connective tissue that obviously usually happens when a band just starts and you're just like, Oh, I just want to create music with my friends. Yeah. And you can't win either way because a lot of people, uh, you know, that they, they will complain and say like, I would, I just wish that this was more like their last record. But you know, when it comes down to it, do they really want you to make a record that was just like their, the last one? And if you did that two or three times, then all of a sudden they would say that, you know, this band is stale and they never grow. And, And then on the, um, you know, kind of the, the counter to that is if you change too quickly, all of a sudden you've alienated a bunch of people that like your band uh, for whatever reason. So it's really just kind of this thing where if you're not satisfying yourself first and foremost as, you know, a creator, then you're, you can't, re- I guess you just like, you can't rely on the, um, 
opinions of of uh, of the the kids or however you however you want to group that because they're collectively extremely uh, fickle opinions and 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 I think it's first and foremost it's important to make something that you're happy with uh, and people will either come with you or, or or they won't but that's really kind of beyond our control right and and plus the like you say you know the kids the proverbial scene that that stays the same because obviously each year that goes by you yourself are getting older, but that crop of, of young, you know, 14 to 18 year olds stays exactly the same. Like obviously, yeah, it changes over time as far as what they're in, what I, what they are into, but there will always be kids supplanting the ones yeah. that came before them. So you can't, yeah, it's just that snake eating its tail where it's just like, Oh, well maybe if we do this to keep up with the 14 year olds, it's like, well, the next year there will be a new 14 year old that will have a completely different set of parameters to judge you by. Yeah. But I think that it's definitely our goal or maybe it should be anybody's goal as a musician to challenge your listener to expand beyond whatever uh, can uh, whatever you know uh, uh, parameters or conventions they they're used to. Um, I guess what I mean by that is that uh, my favorite records of all time, the records that have, have have stuck with me and and that I, I look back at as being definitive kind of uh, forks in the road or, or uh, however you want to say it a lot of those records were albums that didn't immediately hit me. They were records that I had to listen to over and over again. And, and they, they stuck, they kind of like stuck in my brain as something like, why, what is it about this that, that, that I don't understand or I don't get, there's something here that is, that is, uh, challenging my thought as to what, you know, uh, what I, what I assumed was acceptable or something within music. And that, you know, we from the from the very beginning of making this new record knew that it wasn't going to be as immediate as the last one. It was something that w- w- took time. Mm-hmm. It, it was something that oh, um, not everybody would understand why we want wanted to make something that was a little bit more subdued. But that was the subject matter, and that was where our headspace was as a band. And you know, I. I you can't, I guess you just kind of can't really like, uh, uh, it, it's like, it's like guessing the weather and, right. um, right. it's not really our job to do that. It's just our job to be honest and, and make, make the work that, uh, that, that, that comes to us. I really, I really like the, the sentiment you shared in there in regards to, um, you know, obviously challenging the listener, no matter what age, because it's like you do, you do feel uh, and I'm sure you can name records that did this to you where it's like, I remember when I was whatever, 17, 18 years old and I was aware of the band neurosis. I knew mm-hmm. that they existed. I listened to them before and I was kind of like, Oh, that's, that's cool. But then I remember staying home sick one day in high school and listening to times of grace and having that record just completely change my perception of like what heavy music is and blah 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 but it's like everybody should have those those records that do alter their perception and i think that's exactly what you're talking about where it's just like yeah you gotta you have to push a person to challenge themselves and sometimes it's you know this record or sometimes it's maybe you're not ready for it maybe in two years all of a sudden you'll get this record you know yeah think about i mean 
a band that immediately came to my head, uh, it, it, definitely because they played a, a big role in my life when I was younger. I mean, think about the role of the Deftones. Like a band like the Deftones, they came up in this new metal scene surrounded by bands like Korn and Limp Bizkit and, you know, whatever, Mudvayne and all of this stuff. But they think about how bold and, and scary the moves that they were making as a band were like, they're very challenging for that genre. I mean, you can hear things like Depeche Mode and the Smiths and you can hear this curiosity in a genre that really does not stray away from its uh, tendencies. And think about how many fans they probably lost album to album. But when you go back and you look over their catalog, it's, it's really impressive thinking like, man, you guys somehow walked this line where you were able to play like uh, Ozfest, but then you also have these songs like Digital Bath, you know, on White Pony, which are just like straight up like sh- shoegazy, beautiful songs. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a great band to be able to um, uses kind of like you said as sort of test case to see how these things can obviously evolve and age gracefully as opposed to like oh you're just trying to like recapture your old new metal glory or whatever <laughs> yeah and they probably pushed their fans to the limit i mean I, true probably, probably consistently but i think that they're but if you look at their discography it's a lot more rewarding than 99 percent of their peers if not a hundred percent honestly i think we could throw we could throw that extra one percent in there too yeah i'm not sure if there's anybody else in that genre <laughs> that really hold gets to hold the torch right right yeah um and so were, were you yourself born and raised in the st louis area because that's obviously where you guys say that you're from but were you guys kind of from the suburbs or or the actual city proper no so i i was born in miami florida um and then I was raised until I was about 12 or so in the Bay Area in California. Hmm. And then I spent a year, or actually just a shy of a year, in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. And then I moved to St. Louis. You were moving around a lot. Why? <laughs> um, well, each one kind of has a different reason. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the the short the short form answer would just be that my my mom became a flight attendant. Mm, got it. And um, she uh, went to training for United Airlines, and then uh, that was in Chicago. And then after your training is up, I, I guess it's just like depends on whatever class you're in for the training, but you get a list of options as to where you want to be based out of. And she had the option of Chicago or. Colorado. She had a lot of family in Colorado. So she opted for that. And I don't think uh, either of us really liked it there. And then she reconnected with um, a man who eventually became my stepfather, who she had uh, dated when we were living in California. And then he moved back to St. Louis. It was a very uh, chance happened or kind of like uh, I don't know, a, a random occurrence where she was uh, flying into St. Louis and decided to give him a call. And from there, you know, they, they, they started seeing each other again. And uh, then we moved here to Got St. It. Louis. Got yeah, it. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, obviously usually a, a more transient lifestyle from, you know, like your upbringing is usually rooted in like, Oh, it's my profession. Like, you know, I was either like an architect or I was an army brat or whatever. So it makes sense. The, the whole flight attendant thing. So you're, 
what, what was your family structure like? Obviously, like it, it sounds like there was a, a divorce at some point in there or a separation at some point. Was Did you have brothers and sisters and everything? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. I just found out within the past year that I actually have a half-sister. Um, my mom and dad were, they. I think they were, were probably separated maybe when I was three or four months old. Okay. My mom uh, left Florida and uh, went to uh, California where my grandfather owned a house. And we lived with him, like I was saying, for about the first 12 years of my life. Uh, so he was kind of my father figure and I was an only child. Uh, and yeah, it was just my mom, my grandfather, uh, and then he had renters. So I guess I was to some degree raised by renters. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were figuring it out by yourself with some sort of parental ish figures around you. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to call them parental, <laughs> I remember there was a guy named Monty who lived with my, or lived in that house and he was extremely old and very grumpy and just smoked cigarettes all day. Uh, so I don't know. He, right. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty paternal. He was, yeah. He, he was older than you. That's uh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. By like 60, 70 years. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it sounds like a very, um, well, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even classify it as chaotic, but obviously, like I was saying earlier, transient. Um, did you did you feel like you started to develop an identity like when you were uh, up in San Francisco? Is that kind of when you started to you know recognize the world around you and start to you know feel out who you were as a person? Uh, I think that I, as a young person, a lot of my identity or maybe my personality was shaped by <clears throat> my grandfather and his influence. Uh, he, not too long ago, him and I were talking, this is before he passed away, but we were talking about how when I was young, when I first, you know, I guess was starting to go to school, I was apparently a very serious, very analytical and kind of quiet kid. And he felt as if I because of the kind of the chaos of my life with my mom's situation and our living situation that I was going to grow up without an imagination. So he was extremely focused on adding a sense of, I guess, like wonderment to my life. Uh, and, and I think that that influence is something that I will always be grateful for. Um, because I think without him and 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 his, uh, I guess, keen sense of how um, sad of a child I was, I, I think I probably would have grown up to be a completely different person. And I still think that I have some of that uh, left in me. I, I, I feel sometimes like I am uh, a hair uh, analytical or maybe a little dour. <laughs> But yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, that sounds that sounds very interesting because I, I think there is something inherently unique about having a large influence uh, played in part due to grandparents because of um, I mean, I, I completely identify with you because my, my parents were divorced when I was like three or so. And my mm-hmm. mom, we lived right next door to my grandparents out of sheer function because, you know, they would help take me to school and everything else. And so um, the you know, usually people view their grandparents as like those weird old people they have to visit on the holidays. But then when you do have this sort of, 
um, you know, like fatherly figure or motherly figure played by the grandparents. Um, it, it's something so inherently special that uh, a lot of people can't experience, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that there's a difference between like kind of the, the, the two. I mean, there's probably a multitude of different uh, experiences for people with their grandparents. But for me, my grandfather was essentially like my father, uh, except, you know, grandparents tend to uh, get all of the good and not really have to worry so much about uh, the bad. Um, so my, yeah, I think that maybe my grandfather got it a little bit easy because, um, you know, when you are a grandparent rather than an actual uh, parent, you don't necessarily have to deal with all of the growing pains. Right. Yeah. So you, you can check in and out. That's like, you know, yeah. you could be like, Oh, I'll play with the kid for a few hours and then, all right, see you later. <laughs> gotta get, <laughs> gotta give the kid back to the parents. Yeah, totally. Um, and so then, uh, you know, St. Louis, so you landed kind of in St. Louis when you were what, like 13, 14 or a little bit older? I think a little bit younger. I think I, I, I think I was about 12 maybe or 13. Cause yeah, I think probably about 13. It was right before high school. Got it. I did a year and then high school. Got it. Um, cause St. Louis is a really weird city. I've spent a lot of time in the, mid, <laughs> in the Midwest. Um, yeah. partially like my, my stepfather was raised in a, in a town called Farmington, Illinois, which was, you know, a total like population two or 3000. Um, I'm pretty sure I know where that is. Dude, yeah. It's like an hour South of Peoria. It's a, yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I know where it is. Totally. So it's like, anyway, spending a lot of time there and then kind of, you know, visiting the surrounding areas, I would go to St. Louis and, um, it's so like, I, I really can't, describe it because it's such a bizarre city of like, you know, such a mixture of, of old historical, um, you know, buildings and obviously the St. Louis arch and everything else. Um, and then there's, you know, extreme poverty. And then there's also, um, you know, really rich areas. I guess you could kind of paint most American cities like this, but what was your, I guess, experience now kind of reflecting on, you know, as you've grown up in St. Louis and, you know, what's your relationship with the city? Well, so first off, they, I'll say this, uh, the second that I got off the flight in St. Louis, I thought that I was having a heart attack because I had never experienced humidity before. I mean, and <laughs> Dude, I, so, so yeah, true. That's I was in the back of a, this, this truck and I couldn't breathe. It was just this like heavy weight on my chest. And I was like, you know, really young. So obviously I had to talk myself out of the fact that like it's probably I'm probably not having a heart attack at you know 12 years old, but it was horrifying to me. Uh, so that was like my very first experience with St. Louis, and maybe that's a uh, a microcosm for my that's it that's a that's a that's a small little like uh, uh, that, that's my experience with St. Louis in a nutshell. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're you're constantly feeling like you're battling heart attacks, but it's a different thing that you're battling. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I've kind of grown to love this city in a strange way. Uh, I definitely miss the West Coast just because I feel like that's kind of where my heart is. And every time we get to go back on tour, I feel just kind of like a sense of calm. Mm -hmm. Uh, St. Louis is a really, really interesting city. Uh, There aren't a lot of cities like it because I I think one thing that separates it is you can see what it almost was. So if you look at, uh, back, you know, when, when they did like the world's fair and in, in, in the early 1900s, it, it, St. Louis was massive and it was this gorgeous city that was supposed to be, it was essentially considered like the New York of the Midwest. And through a series of, uh, I guess, mishandlings and probably pretty deep 
deep rooted uh, corruption, uh, the railroad companies ended up uh, moving their hub to Chicago, which then Chicago became what it is. And St. Louis, I think, since then has kind of crippled along and just become uh, worse and worse. So it's really interesting because there's so much history and there's so many um, influential and uh, uh, groundbreaking artists that have come from here. And if you look at the architecture, a lot of it is dilapidated and there's, and, and there's very like derelict kind of vibe to the city, but you can see, under all of that, what the city almost became, which would have been this massive, massive uh, metropolitan area. So I don't know. It's it's a very interesting city in that regard. And I think that because of that, the city has a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of issues here that I've noticed with uh, uh, segregation uh, and and definitely a, a lot of sadness here. Um, but at the same time, I think people that are from here are proud of the city and um, I think that they, they love it. So, yeah, no, it's a really, that's a really interesting point of the, yeah, there in very rare instances, can you see what a city could have been? Because I mean, yeah, that was obviously the central point of the United States of America. And like, you had to travel through St. Louis in order to get anywhere. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really, really r- reflective description of that. Um, and so then as you started to kind of, um, cause I, I've, I've heard you mention, and obviously I know you've been peppered with questions in regards to, um, you know, are you guys a Christian band? Are you Christians? Like, you know, with the whole, <laughs> the whole religious component. Um, but w- were you raised with a certain particular strain of religion or where did that kind of, you know, come into your life? Um, cause obviously you've come out of the other side of it, uh, uh, you know, not not adhering to any one religion or believing anything from that perspective, or in a higher power, or whatever you want to label it as. Um, but where did that kind of religious influence come into your life, and what sort of strain <laughs> was it that you were introduced to? Yeah, so my mom, uh, when she had me, and when she was living with my father in Florida, I believe that she was not of any sort of a re- uh, religious affiliation, and I think that her experience with my father and all of that led her to some sort of uh, crisis of faith. Uh, so she ended up becoming a Christian and I was raised going to, um, I'm trying to think of exactly what the type of school was. I think it was just a non-denominational Christian school. Okay. Uh, and then I had also gone to a Lutheran school for one year and our church, we kind of like bounced back and forth between evangelical. And then we went to one church that was just a straight up like hippie commune church type thing where, uh, you know, uh, people are speaking in tongues and dancing barefoot and they would how they, they, they would host service like in middle schools, uh, cause they didn't have their own building. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of bounced around a lot of different uh, uh, sects of Christianity. Um, most of them, I would say, are on the more liberal side of of the religion, but um, probably not as uh, liberal as you know um, uh, uh, it can it can get. I'm sorry, I was on mute for a second. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, you're like, uh, you're I was like, like, oh, did I like, did I say something bad? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Hello, pardon the interruption, but I am very excited to speak to you about Adam and Eve. 
They are one of the first advertisers to this whole podcast game, so I feel very validated that they have decided to invest in this show. You can make this Valentine's Day one that you will never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. So, you know, they, they do uh, adult entertainment stuff, DVDs, toys, all of the fun things that you can incorporate into your bedroom life with your partner. What's not to enjoy from that? So throughout Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and an endless selection of DVDs. And there's more. You'll receive a romance kit, which includes, you know, some toys, a special massager, and a little something that uh, both of you and your partner will enjoy. So they're keeping a little secret. But you also get a free adult DVD, you know, to put you in the mood, if you enjoy that, of course. And that's not all. They also are giving you free shipping right to your doorstep. So go check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, free shipping when you enter the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S. That's W-O-R-D-S at adamandeve.com. You can't lose. It's fun stuff that you can do, like I said, in the safety of your own home with your partner for Valentine's Day. Come on, just do it up and you'll enjoy it. And I promise you that um, you'll get free shipping, right? (laughs) Anyways, now on with the show. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. 
Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hello, this is Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com, and on my podcast, I've interviewed the who's who of the emo post-hardcore scene to only preserve that special time and place before the internet and Zuckerberg ruined our lives for good. Consider it your history lesson in all things emo. The podcast has been featured in iTunes, the Pitchfork Review, and the AV Club. To listen, go to iTunes.com slash WashedUpEmo. But don't even think about trademarking Emo Night. And so then as you started to develop more of your own identity, like usually I, I kind of attribute that to obviously high school. And once you start to get, um, you know, other influences in your life, um, were you still kind of that, like you said, you know, uh, analytical pensive kid with, you know, the, uh, imaginative side that was obviously, uh, bestowed upon you by your grandfather. Um, or did you kind of start to develop, uh, one or more of those sides a little bit more when you were in high school? Yeah, so right before high school, I went to a uh, magnet school. I'm not sure if you know what a magnet school is. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, it was the. I, I went to a magnet school for visual and performing arts. Uh, I had been acting since I was a really young kid, uh, and I went with an emphasis in acting. But then I also picked up as one of my uh, uh, extracurriculars or one of my non-core classes, I picked up orchestra and that's where I started playing cello. So I was bouncing between, uh, doing theater and, and, and orchestra. And from there moving into high school, I stopped playing the cello and was pretty focused on acting, uh, throughout all of high school, while at the same time always playing in bands, uh, I had picked up bass guitar after cello. Uh, and I was doing yeah, theater um, and then also improv theater uh, for a long time. And I thought that that was kind of where my life was headed um, because I was really good at it. Not to... Um, to your, to your <laughs> yeah, not horn, to, to your own horn. horn. But I, 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 I was I was really good at uh, improv, and it was something that I really enjoyed. And so I had planned on uh, at, at one time I had planned on moving to Chicago for improv, uh, and then I had also applied to schools uh, uh, to to go to film school. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think in regard to your question about like my uh, mindset, I think that I was definitely like a class clown. Um, I was probably a teacher's worst nightmare because I wasn't goofy class clown. I was very biting and very sarcastic and very inquisitive and really, um, I really knew how to, to, to push to the core of, uh, of whatever subject matter we were learning about. And I think that that probably drove teachers up the wall because I think when, when you have a kid who is just saying goofy things to make people laugh, uh, that's, that's probably easier to handle than somebody that's not only making kids laugh, but is also making them question, uh, what, whatever, uh, we're, we're learning about. Um, I think you can easily squelch, uh, somebody that's just saying goofy things, but when you kind of dismantle the entire uh, structure of, of of the classroom environment by derailing it with 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 these very um, profound kind of thoughts about uh, 
about the lessons or whatever, I think that that probably becomes a huge, huge undertaking. And when I look back at myself, I think that I was probably like an evil dickhead and I should have, I should have calmed down. But I think that I had a lot of anger in me, uh, growing up just because of my family situation and not really having a father. And, uh, I wasn't really happy with my mom remarrying and all of that. And I think that I, I've always used to some degree humor as a coping mechanism. So whether that be with improv theater or like, you know, again, uh, uh, the way that I acted in the classroom environment. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I would say that it, it, it it's, it's <laughs> black humor, <laughs> like dark sure. humor. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that, that, that was kind of the way that I, uh, uh, found my own voice at least in my teenage years. Well, it's it's cool. I, I mean, I really like the the experience that you had in regards to um, you. You were doing exactly what obviously most kids are supposed to do in high school, um, as far as just like experimenting with a bunch of stuff. Because obviously, it's like you know, and I as much as you're supposed to do that, I think a lot of kids don't. You know, it's like they do like maybe one sport and like maybe participate in something else, but it's like. You know, you were you were mixing it up with a lot of different things in order to, um, like you said, sort of establish, you know, what it is that you actually liked and had a passion for, as opposed to just like, oh, well, maybe it'll come to me tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's yeah. no active engagement, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we were doing. I was doing like I, I was playing shows when I was 15 years old, uh, and then doing improv theater stuff in St. Louis City outside of the school. Uh, and you know, I mean, like I. My first, some of my first show experiences, like I was 15 and I got to open for, of Montreal, uh, my first show ever that's like, a, that was at a real venue, uh, was opening for, <laughs> uh, Horse the Band. Oh, dude, of course. Who I actually ran into, we ran into them in, uh, in Berlin. Uh, it was crazy. Uh, we were playing in Berlin and they were playing across the street from us and we went over there and talked to them. That's, am- that's, yeah. a, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But well, so I, you know, that was crazy, you know, like 15 years old, uh, playing at, at, at these venues, uh, with these bands that I really admired. I was a really big up Montreal fan when I was 15 and it was, you know, I got to, uh, uh, I played with like Bob Nana and, uh, some bands on, uh, like drag city and, uh, Oh, I played with like Owen Pallet, like uh, like uh, Final Fantasy. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like, and I was like, you know, fifteen, sixteen. So that experience, those experiences were really, uh, I guess, um, uh, uh, formidable. Yeah, for, yeah <laughs> or f- formative. That's what they were. Formative. Yes. Formative. Well, they were also probably formidable because that was scary. I'm sure in certain respects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an improper use, and I now I, forever this will be stamped uh, in history that I that I screwed up. It's hey. These are, these are things that happen in a long-form conversation. This is what friends do. They correct each other in order to uh, make sure we use it pro- appropriately in the future, I guess. Yeah, now, now listeners, now you know. <laughs> it's all a facade. Yeah. Um, but you, stri- you, you strike me, too. Like, how, how old are you currently? Are you, like, late 20s? I just turned 27. Okay, um, yeah. You, you strike me as a much, like, I'm 35, and you, you definitely, the things that you're speaking about are not, uh, I guess, reflective of most 15-year-olds 
experiences. Like, you know, I mean, honestly, of Montreal, it's like I didn't hear them until I started working at a record store when I was like, you know, 19 or 20. Um, if I listened to them when I was 15, I would have been like, no, I'd rather listen to this Earth Crisis record. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, sure. But uh, so it sounds like, I mean, you and plus, I think the, the way that the band carries them, your guys' self as a collective unit, intentionally or unintentionally, um, is relatively mature. Um, and I, I don't mean that as obviously a, a you know derogatory thing, um, but there is sort of that air of like, oh, even though um, you know this is our second record, and you know many people would anticipate us being in our early twenties. Um, there is, I, I don't know if you, there's no question wrapped up in this, but beyond just the fact that it's like, uh, you guys maybe are are more confident to put forth um, the fact that you kind of you know know what you're doing better than when you did when you were in your early twenties. If that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I'm not certain. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, maybe you're saying we have an air of old souls. Right, yeah. There's, <laughs> well, I think with the old soulness kind of comes uh, confidence, because obviously when you're you know younger, there's a, a dumb confidence about you, but then that blossoms into something of real confidence because you've been doing something for a little bit longer. Because um, you, pre- you previously played uh, in an instrumental band. What, what was the name of the band? It's called Hunter Gatherer. I, okay. I played in it with our drummer John. That's right. Yeah, um, and our and our first guitar player Matt, who okay. our Foxing's first guitar player. Got it. And that that was uh, was that kind of the the first band where you were really um, I guess touring. Like obviously you were playing local shows and stuff like that. But was that the first thing that you kind of um, you know did on a more national level? No, not even. Uh, actually, Foxing is Foxing is pretty much the first band that anybody in the band has done on a more serious level. We've all played in St. Louis and uh, uh, for years with other bands. And St. Louis is a very kind of kind of a tight knit, uh, smaller scene where everybody is aware of each other, even you know, regardless of genre. Um, and there's a lot of intermingling between uh, members. You know, a lot of people play in four or five bands, um, and yeah, um, Hunter Gather was the first band that I had done after high school, I played in this folk band with one of the guitar players from my high school band for a little bit. I got to play a couple shows, but I took a really long break from music and it was kind of a, um, chance, uh, a thing where I moved in with a friend of mine and the previous, uh, tenant or, or whatever, the, the person that lived in that room that I moved in, they left behind a computer uh, that they said that I could use, and he just had a massive hard drive full of music, and I just started pulling up stuff, and that's where I, I, I first kind of got turned on to a lot of instrumental music. When I was in high school, I was really aware of you know kind of the the obvious ones like Godspeed Black Emperor or Explosions in the Sky, but this hard drive was full of stuff, you know, things from Japan and and uh you know the Netherlands and all kinds of stuff that I never heard before. And it really opened me up. And he had also left behind a bass guitar and a practice amp, which I hadn't played in quite a long time. And at that point I really wasn't doing much. Uh so I just started picking it up and messing around and I guess I got the drive again and just a lot of things happened where I uh everything kind of fell into place where I put the band together uh which was Hunter Gatherer and uh yeah I think we did it for maybe about three years and we didn't do a lot like we made an EP 
and we did a couple radio things. We got to play with some bands that I really love. It was the first time well, we played with uh, uh, This Town Needs Guns, who are now TTNG, who we just toured with in Foxing, and that was crazy to tell them, like, we, I had played with your band five years ago at this art space, right. <laughs> you know, things like that. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that band. That's really cool. Yeah. I like, I, I, I think when you have those, those experiences that you, um, you know, it doesn't matter obviously how large of a level that it grew. It's just the fact that you do have these sort of, you know, local experiences that you can build your, your, your chops or repertoire or however you want to put it in order to be able to not feel like you're, you know, completely useless when you're playing in front of a large amount of people. <laughs> it's also, yeah. It's also kind of like a relationship, you know, like how, I guess they say that every relationship that you get out of, you learn kind of the things that you liked about that relationship and the things that you would want to do differently in your next relationship. So for all of us, being able to kind of go through those uh, uh, growth spurts just in St. Louis, I think has helped us a lot with knowing how we'd like to be uh, as a band when we're seen on a, on a more uh, national or international level. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and it, correct me if I'm wrong too, but like, do you, um, did you enroll in the military or you have some experience with the military or what, <laughs> what did, when did that kind of enter your life or, or how wrong am I in bringing that up in the first place? <laughs> well, you're wrong only in the sense that you don't really enroll in the military. You, you enlist, you enlist <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what friends. That's what friends do. We have to correct each other. Dude, I, Josh, we are friends, and I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I had been playing in hunter gatherer for a couple years, uh, and I had, I think, at the time, I had two jobs or so. And, and we, all of this would get into a very long history of my life. But my relationship with my parents at the time was non-existent. When I turned eighteen, they kicked me out of the house, and we didn't talk for years. Um, and uh, I was living with that friend that you know where I where I had the computer and the and the bass guitar. And then 2008 hit, and the market completely crashed, and I lost uh, I lost one of my jobs right after I had quit uh, uh, the other job, thinking that I would have something else lined up, but I didn't. And my life kind of spiraled at that point, um, and. It was that I got to this level where I remember vividly um, I was stealing a piece of bologna and like a piece of cheese from my roommates like every day, and that's all I was eating. Uh, my car broke down, so I was I, I, I got a, I got another job and I was riding a bike in the middle of winter to get to get to work, and it was just horrible. And uh, the end of our lease came up, and they all moved out. And I, and I was the last one. And I remember being in that house alone. It was this two story house, uh, with no heat and no, uh, electricity. And, um, so half of my family is, uh, I would say like military and the other half are musicians. So my cousin, he's actually right now, he's working on his doctorate, uh, but he is a composer and a conductor and he's, you know, he's done stuff everywhere uh you know like the white house carnegie all all this stuff uh and 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 a lot of my other cousins are uh musicians and 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 then the other half is military and my mom had always wanted me to kind of follow my grandfather's footsteps which he fought in world war ii and uh i think that they felt like i had a lack of discipline uh and 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 
to some degree they were probably right. But when all of this stuff kind of started spiraling, um, I ended up connecting with my parents again and they saw how bad I was. I mean, I was, I was massively in debt. Um, I had collectors calling me, you know, no car, no house. Uh, and they kind of gave me this, um, ultimatum, which was like, we're going to, we'll help you get out of this, but we want you to join the military. And at the time I really felt like I had no options. I, I felt like I was going to die. Uh, and I, I, um, I guess the shortest way to go about it is that I took them up on that. Um, and yeah, so I enlisted in the military and, uh, what branch, uh, the army, okay. I was initially going to join the air, the air force, which my stepbrother, uh, he's still in the air force. Uh, he's in the air national guard. And I was going to do that because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a uh, relatively light and relatively, um, cushy, I guess, if we want to, <laughs> if we want to be blunt about it. Um, and I was meeting with this guy. My parents knew this. I think he was like a lieutenant colonel who did film for the army. And I was meeting with him and uh, just talking about movies and film theory and all this stuff. It was really uh, uh, a, a uh, uh, enlightening conversation. And it was, it was really interesting talking to this military guy about <laughs> film. But um, he said to me something which was basically like, if you get a chance to do this one job, there's one job that uh, if you if you score high enough on your tests and it's available and you think you have it in you, I would do that. And <laughs> so when you join the military, you have to go to this building and you take this series of tests and it, it's called an uh, ASVAB. And it's basically just like a placement test to, to show uh, your aptitude. Uh, and you know, it's like if you score really, really low, it's like you're infantry. Yeah, you're a grunt, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you score really, really high, it's kind of like the world is your oyster, right? You get the uh, you, you get the white collar job in the army or whatever, right? Yeah. So I got I scored high, and it just so happened that there was one slot open for this job that was not cushy at all. But it was I that that guy's voice was in the back of my head, and in that one brief moment, I wanted to be Rambo or like you know I wanted to be Ethan Hunt, <laughs> and I totally. said. I said, I'm, I'm going to do that. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. 
like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Uh, and so I did it. Um, yeah. Right. That, I mean, it's such a, the reason I bring it up is because obviously, I mean, I've encountered many people that have kind of come from, for lack of a better term, the the independent punk hardcore community whatever and like obviously most of the sentiments towards the military are obviously very negative um but then some people end up you know being like well you know maybe the bureaucracy and the structure of it is is bad and war is bad but the people that make it up are obviously not bad and so you know they enlist and they they do everything they they can to make it obviously a positive environment. Um, so was you know you don't have to obviously get in intimate detail with it, but was your your general experience um, pretty uh, traumatizing, or was it you know did you feel like there was were some impact that you were able to make? Uh, I guess within the system. Oh wow! Uh, I. Let me think about how I want to answer that. Yeah, no, I, I, and uh, I, I yeah, I, I don't. Like I said, I'm not trying to hang you out to dry or anything. Like no, no, that. no. I so okay. The, the, let me let me let me run for a minute on this. That's, hey, man, we got a long <laughs> runway. This is fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I never. I, I I would never say that I I, I grew up with a uh, pro military attitude. Uh, throughout my high school years, I you you could find me at quite a few, uh, uh, rallies, uh, for, um, you know, anti, anti-war rallies when we, when we, in 2005, when we went to Iraq, uh, I grew up kind of in that, not, not like super punk rock scene or whatever, but I think musicians generally speaking kind of lean a little bit left. Um, and, uh, I never would have thought that that would have been the, that, 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 that was going to be me. Like if you had told me in high school that that's what I was going to end up becoming, uh, I would have, (laughs) I would have scoffed. But, um, I would say that, uh, generally or uh, broadly speaking, it, it was a fairly negative experience for me. I mean, the second that I got to basic training, it was like, Oh my God, what have I done? Uh, and that kind of continued throughout, like the first time that I stepped foot in Afghanistan or, you know, any, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and when we, I, I haven't really, I don't, I haven't really talked about this with a lot of people. Uh, when we started the band, uh, nobody really knew about it. I mean, the band knew about it. Um, but we never really talked about it with anybody on the road and, even though the albatross, a good uh, majority of the subject matter is uh, on my end that I wrote was about coming home from that. Um, 
and the, the 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 fact that the band was the the conception of the band uh was was uh, uh it, it was conceived in my head while I was in Afghanistan under heavy duress um it was something that we never really talked about kind of for the reason that you brought up um one I was going through a ton of uh, uh things in, in, internally when I got when I when I got home from that and and I didn't want people to uh judge me uh in the in the music community uh but even more so I just didn't want that to precede me in the sense that when you hear you know if if you hear like oh blah 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 I was in the military uh the first thing that I think a lot of people that are in that community are going to think is there's a slew, I guess, of, um, uh, uh, prejudice or whatever about, about people in the military. And I wanted my own, I wanted to be able to be myself and not have people kind of, uh, push at me with that. And, and, and going back to dealing with it all, uh, especially with the subject matter of the record, um, and now in this record as well, I really didn't want to have to talk about it because I was writing about those things while they were happening. And to have people um, analyze uh, my own mental well-being while I'm still trying to cope felt just terrifying. Um, I like to look at the good and the bad and everything, so I can't say that all of it was horrible. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, and I, and I learned a lot about myself and my own, uh, I think I learned a lot about my own threshold, not on a mental level, but on a physical level, because I was pushed to a limit that I never thought that I could, uh, or would have to, uh, even see. Um, and I learned a lot about loyalty and also kind of, um, uh, I learned a lot about judging people because a lot of the people that you meet when you're in the military are not the kinds of people that I would ever associate with, uh, whether that be just their political beliefs or uh, the way that they talk about uh, people um, or just the fact that may a lot of people that do join up do join because they just want to, uh, get some, uh, they just want to, uh, uh, be in combat. And I learned a lot about people like that. And I think when you're in, in a combat situation with people like that, um, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Um, because when bullets are flying or when mortars are dropping, the, the, that person is the only thing that, you know, stands between you and death um, and then also finding the humanity and, and, and all people, um, not just the people that I served with, but the people in, uh, uh, the Middle East, I, I, I felt a, um, I felt a kindredness with a lot of them, uh, and started to kind of realize that the only differences between me and them were the differences that we had both put up in our minds. Uh, and a language barrier, of course, but, um, so yeah, I definitely have tried to find things about that situation that are positive because if I don't, then it becomes extremely depressing and it's already depressing for me. 
it's already a, a very hard situation uh, that I've had to cope with for a long time uh, now. So, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, no, no. I, I mean, I, I appreciate the the candidness in which you've you know ran through that because I understand there's a lot of um, not only conflicting but confusing emotions that lie within that. But I mean, you know, it, from my perspective in laying that out, like obviously, like you said, you were you were at the bottom. There was really no recourse or choices that you had in the matter, and it was kind of like the only plan of escape that was presented was the fact that for you to do this. And then I, I think you, you know, the, the humanity aspect and obviously the sort of level playing field that everybody is on when they're in a, uh, you know, abnormal situation like war or, or crisis or these, all, all these things that, you know, really put human nature to its test. That's when you do strip away all the artifice and you realize that it's like, Oh yeah, well this person I may have no common bonds with whatsoever, but I have the commonality that I am a human being and I would like to, you know, protect them or, you know, help them live or, you know, whatever the the goal is at that, you know, immediate function. I think that's, to me, that's the the, the most, um, I guess, rewarding thing that people can kind of learn when it isn't just this, this, um, you know, narrative of good versus evil and um, because not everything is obviously black and white like that you know so i i I really appreciate how you lay that out oh yeah uh yeah i I don't know i it it's a it's a weird experience to kind of try to uh condense down into such a small antidote of how it affected me and how uh, uh the way that i've kind of dealt with it but i definitely think like you know you in in trying to find a positive element to everything um I don't think that we would be having this conversation had I not done that because I think that th- that experience, if everything in your life is somewhat of like a pendulum or a reaction to uh, 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 something else in your life, I feel like the one of the reasons why our band has pushed as hard as we have and, and it is because of how determined I was to do something that made me happy when I got home uh, and to really uh, make something out of myself because I felt like I was given a gift. And, you know, that's not to say that I was given a gift by any sort of uh, higher being or that there was anybody looking out for me, but I felt like because I was able to weather that storm that if I were to just come back home and uh, work a nine to five or not do what made me happy, then I would be disrespecting the people that were not given that opportunity. Um, and that was really, really impactful for me in that regard. Um, yeah. I mean, cause yeah, there's, the, that's a very important point because yeah, there, the, no, the notion that um, a creative uh, form can take shape out of something that is, you know, inherently not creative in and of itself. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously there's, there's battle plans and strategic maneuvers and all that sort of stuff, but you know, no one, no one would, um, you know, apply the word art immediately to, to the military. So it's just, it's great how these, these two desperate things can influence one another in ways that you probably, you know, you never envisioned when you were, you know, taking that step to, to enlist. Um, but that's yeah, just, yeah. and that, clearly, and that's, right. Clearly you've never read the art of war. That's true. <laughs> I know that's true. But it, I mean, that, that is, um, <laughs> 
I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but no, I, I know what you, yeah, I know what you mean. It, I don't, there's not like a direct, it, it's not directly, uh, applicable. Like my experience is not directly applicable to being in a band. Uh, but my experience, um, I think that it, it, the things that it taught me uh, that I guess you could say are positive um, in, in just in terms of being driven and knowing uh, that if you, uh, if you want something or if you have something that you need to achieve or whatever it may be that, that, that you, that all it takes is determination and, and, and not giving up. I think that that is something that definitely transitioned over. Uh, and then also just being grateful to be alive uh, I think that you'll find a lot of people that go through experiences where they, uh, where the end was very, very close to them, uh, that it is very profound on them. And a lot of them do end up coming out from that, uh, with a sense of, um, kind of not, I don't want to say like reckless abandon, because I think that that's not really the right way to say it, but a sense that of clarity where it's, 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 I have nothing to lose because I already, uh, I already came that close to death and that's, that that's like the ultimate thing to lose is your life. So why would I not go as hard as I could to, uh, make my life better or to achieve happiness or, or how, you know, whatever it is that you, you as an individual seek. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's a, that's a really good, um, you know, important point to pull out of all that. Um, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go was the, the notion that, um, for all intent and purposes, um, a, a lot of the business kind of, you know, flows through you. Cause usually there's like one or two dudes in the band, um, that kind of, you know, strike up that torch. Um, would you, would you kind of classify yourself as that? Um, obviously there, it's a democracy and everyone kind of votes on that, I imagine. But, um, are you the, the main business guy of the band as it were? Yeah. I mean, Definitely for the whole beginning of the band, uh, just recently, I guess I've been, uh, kind of taking a step back from that and, and, and letting our manager handle a lot of stuff. And then also, you know, on our last tour, Connor, our singer, uh, he kind of tour managed us, but for the long, yeah, for the longest time, that was kind of my thing and it was extremely taxing. Sure. Um, and so now that you guys are kind of at this point where um, I always find interesting within a band's life where there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunities and you guys are getting, um, you know, interesting tours presented to you. And it seems like there is, um, you know, albeit small in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, a spotlight that's being shown on you guys and you're having to react to things that you never thought you'd have to react to. Um, you know, how's that all kind of, and I, I don't expect this to be a very clear and concise answer, but the, you know, how is that all swirling in your head in regards to like, wow, like I never thought, like you were mentioning earlier, when people are comparing you to the national and all these other things that are just so, um, you know, far removed from what you would ever describe yourself, <laughs> your, your band as, um, how is it, uh, how is it kind of recon- reconciling the sort of business aspects of the band of, of having to make all these decisions that you never thought you'd have to make, um, versus just trying to basically function as a band. Cause that's usually when the rubber hits the road and it's kind of hard to parse the two. Oh, I know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know, I know it's a heavy question, but, um, I, I just think that there's something important within whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever one runway you're about to lay down. <laughs> sure. I think that we, um, 
I don't, uh, man, that's a hard one. I don't, I don't think that we ever expected to be in the position that we're in where, um, people li- are listening to our band. I think that's kind of the most mind blowing thing just because all of us have played in bands for so long, uh, and, and made records that nobody ever really heard. And we were fine with that because just the love of playing music for your friends in St. Louis. Um, I think it's, it's hard to kind of look at it in, in perspective because everything's relative. So like you were kind of saying, like there people know who our band, uh, like, like who we are, but really when it comes down to it, uh, I think that there's like kind of the lot, the lie of rock and roll, which is that if a bunch of people know who your band is, then you're, you're doing really well. And I don't really think that we live in that, uh, that like a paradigm or whatever that, that, doesn't really exist as much anymore. So I think that we're still extremely hungry and we're still like kind of looking at it as we always have that like, we don't let up on anything. Um, you know, we, we make our own music videos, uh, and I don't want to take away credit from the people that we work with, but you know, all of the videos that we've made, like I've written, I've edited, uh, the newest one I co-directed wrote and I'm editing it right now. Uh, when it comes to like things like shirt designs, like we work with every single artist like closely. It's not just like, Oh, go off and make a design for us. Like everything that we do, we have a hand in because we, there's quality control in that, in that way. And, and for us, it's like, we want to be responsible for every aspect of our band. Not that like, that doesn't mean that we don't outsource things, but it means that, if I if we're to give away complete control of some aspect of our band to somebody and they fail us, well, we can't even really be like, who do you hold accountable for that? Whereas if it's on us, then we know like we know that uh, uh, like kind of our own personal ethos ethos the idea that like if you're going to do anything, like make it one hundred percent. Like don't put something that you're not happy with or don't half ass something because we're not gonna be a band forever. So why would you in the short amount of time that we have people's attention or the short amount of time that we uh are a collective, why would you put out something that's less? Um so it's really important for us and I think that like a lot of bands as they get bigger they start kind of like letting up with that and and maybe because they want to spend more time at home or whatever or they um or they're just tired of the grind they give away a lot of what makes them uh, a band for us you know it's just um something that's really important at least to me and i think to most of the people in the band that like we have a hand in literally everything we do because we are going to uh determine whether or not like we're putting out the quality. Uh, and so, you know, I guess in answer to your question, um, we're still grinding, like grinding in like the same exact way that we were grinding when we first started. The only difference is that like, now I don't have to sit down on my computer for three months trying to book a tour because somebody does that, but we still have an extreme, like, you know, an, an extremely close watch on, that aspect of our band or we have a manager, but I talk to him every single day and he doesn't like make any decisions without us. So, you know, I think it's just all about being able to manage our own time. So we uh, don't have mental breakdowns, which we've 
come really close to having in the past. Um, but also, um, being aware of everything that has to do with your band, because anybody that listens to our band, they don't, they're not seeing the inner workings of how everything, uh, came to be. They just see the band. And, um, we have, that's the one thing that we have control over is, is our, you know, it's kind of like the crucible. It's like, all we have is our name. Like we just have what we are. We just have what we put out. And it's really important for us to not let up and not get complacent or comfortable because there are too many bands in the world. Like there, there's just, there's so many bands and we've been, uh, fortunate enough to uh be in a place where uh if we put something out people will hear it so it's our job to recognize that gift and not let people down uh at least at least try not to let people down sure sure no i think that's a very you know i really like your answers not gonna lie josh i really (laughs) did i do well yeah and not like you were attempting to pass a test or anything like that but it's um I've just been drinking. I drank a red eye, so I'm. <laughs> oh, dude, that, there's nothing better interview prep than that. But no, I. I yeah. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I really appreciate these these uh, you know thoughtful, insightful responses because yeah, it's uh, and that's why I knew you'd be perfect for this conversation. So way to go, man. <laughs> I think yeah, I feel all right about it. I'm sure that I'm. I won't listen back to it because I'll be like, one, I don't like my own voice, and two, I'll definitely think that I was rambling. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, but I think that's. It, that's the way that people work things out sometimes in their own head where it's just like, like you said, I mean, I really do think a, you know, a, a very appropriate um, metaphor is like a runway because sometimes, I mean, sometimes people can land and, you know, are media trained and can answer a question within 15 seconds. Uh, but usually those responses don't elicit any real um, insight or conversation. It's just like, here you go. There's a million right. of information and that's kind of it. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just like all about if you can stick the landing. So it's like, I'm kind of feel like I'm in a tornado of explanation. Right. And like, as long as I shoot out and like shoot out of the tornado and I land on my feet, it's like, okay, we got through that one <laughs> on to the next one. Sure, like, totally. how are we doing? <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Well, dude, I really appreciate you hanging out on the phone with me. And this is, uh, this has been enjoyable for me, especially because, uh, yeah, sometimes you never know how conversations with strangers are going to go. So, uh, you, you, you rule, Josh. Thanks, man. Thank you. No, thank you, man. Uh, have a good rest of your day. Hi, hello. Greetings. You're done with the episode. Well, no, hold on. Maybe like two more minutes, okay? But thank you very much to Josh for uh, going really in-depth in his life, and uh, I could tell he hadn't really had the opportunity to do that. So, thank you, Josh. And also, special shout-out to his manager, or should I say the manager of his band, Joe Morrow, who's a previous guest on the show and and a good friend. So thanks, Joe, for hooking it up because, you know, a lot of people bug you for stuff and you don't need to do everything for everybody, but you did it for me and I really appreciate that. So uh, visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, visit our sponsors and visit some of the other shows on the Jabberjaw Media Network. You got nothing to lose, right? Because these are all good shows, I promise. And, um, yeah, the producer this week was me, haha, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I just uh, didn't get my stuff together and uh, sent over to my friend who's uh, been helping me with shows recently. So uh, complain to me if you think that this show sounds terrible. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, the guest next week is Ian Fowles. He is the guitarist for bands like, oh, you know, the Aquabats 
And he also plays guitar in Gerard Way's band called Gerard Way and the Hormones. Uh, he's done a ton of amazing stuff as a musician and as a person in general. And uh, I was really excited about this conversation. And I can't wait to share it with you next week. So there you go. And uh, please, until next week, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.